Doc. Best be pulling the plug on Bog. He's probably not gonna make it. Sir, he just had his tonsils removed. He'll be fine. Don't confuse me with your mumbo-technical-jumbo. Just do it. Sir, it was a simple procedure. He's recovering in the room over there. He'll be good to leave this afternoon. So that's where the deed be done. <laughs> All right, I'll get the pillow. Ye watch for the guard. Sir, he told me to tell you he hasn't got any money right now. Oh, well, then that'd be fine. You said this afternoon he'd be out. Well, thanks for the help, Doc. Adventurers. Greedy little ones. Nurse, double charge their insurance. With a little spice of class, a dash of homebrew, and a touch of the rules, and you have Chef Bogues and the Pirate Captain's Recipes for Everything. This be it. Another grand adventure. But this week we be out without my buddy Bog. He, uh, he's uh, sick with the tonsils. That's the reason for the Bog bit. I be your main adventurer for this week. I am the Pirate Captain. And with me today, we actually have a special guest returning for just the sit-in. And we'll eventually have him back for more episodes. We have Loke the Bard here. How you doing, Loke? Hey, how's it going, PC? Ah, oh, thanks, bud. Hey, I'm doing well, and I also want to make sure that we're shouting out to the Chef Bolg and Pirate Captain's Recipes for Everything Facebook page. We also have the email Bolg and PC at gmail.com. You can email us with any of your questions, concerns, gripes, bitches, complaints, character sheets, homebrew ideas. We'll take a look at it, and we will talk about it. But uh, a little backdrop of what's going on for those of you who may not be aware... Because we know that a lot of the fans of the show are friends, so they may be aware that our good buddy Bulg had his tonsils removed. 30 years old, and his tonsils removed. Crazy. So he is out for this episode, and then I had to rush in, go find me a bard to make me feel a little bit better about myself, so we could do this week's episode. Uh, so we won't actually be talking about the topics that were in the promo. I want to save that for Bull because a lot of the topic we usually do two of his topics, one of my topics, and then we also do the bulk bit and everything, and I want to save those for when he's here. But with Loke being here, let's go ahead. I want to do talk to you about your campaign. Uh, we just start, We got into the first episode. Uh, last week we had people that were sick. This week we have people who are sick, so I you know, school's on hiatus, so go ahead and give, like, the backdrop to this this campaign, because I don't think we talked about that in the last time we had you in. Well, I, I'm a big fan of anime, especially isekai. I know anime fans groan when they hear the word isekai, Dude. but that's that's one of the, my favorite genre of anime. I also like, like, the lit RPGs and the portal fantasy novels. Yeah. So, uh, one of the things that's very popular in those genres is the Magic Academy, where you fight to earn your rank and graduate. <laughs> I thought that would be a fun uh, setup, and I had jokingly proposed it middle of the last campaign, and everybody thought, yeah, that's what they wanted to do for the next campaign. Um, I also wanted to combine, we have a lot of people who like to, are very comfortable with the barbarian fighter, who also, you know, the human variant, almost nothing else they, there's certain people that's all they play. It's the min-maxer. Yeah, and I wanted something where they would at least get exposed to a caster. Yeah. So this is an all-caster party. You had to make a caster in a magical academy-type setting 
which will have the dueling and the fighting and the tournament style <laughs> that you I know, get. I, I, I know that's my big like jo- running joke with you guys. Is, are we in the tournament arc yet? Yeah. Come on, let's get to the tournament arc. Epis- episode four is the tournament arc. Yeah. I, I just <laughs> I, I, I joked about it last week too because I had to be gone for certain things and I was like, well, you know, this I guess is going to be your filler episode. We're going to the beach, guys. And that was, uh, you know, I because I, I am, like you're saying, this one is for like the anime fans. Uh, and I am a big anime fan, and I know like the tropes and the things, so I'm just going to keep punching in the jokes. But you did, men- not only to mention anime, when I see new players that are coming in, this happened at the Adventures Guild all the time, that when they came in, like, I just don't know what I want to create. And I was like, you need to think about what's your favorite anime character in any show whatsoever, and think about what he would, where he falls in into the classes. And then you can build him that way or him or her whoever it has to be uh you know i've had all my light characters i've had escanor characters zoro characters like all my favorites uh i was trying to do actually uh for another a couple campaigns ago actually i built thrall from world of warcraft in your last campaign uh for those of you who are familiar with thrall they have the rune knight which i'm going to tell you is one of my favorite uh fighter subclasses they brought out it's like magic without actually being magic and I enjoy that at a bunch, but I built through all, so. Yeah, and then you can do that any genre, any if you wanted to make, you know, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. There, there's a way to do that in D&D, and that's one of the fun things. You, you have to find what you like to put yourself into that. Yeah. Um, and especially if, you, if you've got a DM who you know what the story is, and it, that's going to work with their setting. Because you, you don't want to pull up the, the, you know, Buddhist monk in a medieval Europe setting it's it just does not yeah you know mesh very well <laughs> get but, uh, that guy he's a heretic yeah oh man well i mean in some campaigns it does work like yeah. i think when one of your first campaigns i had a character that was from like the far off the samurai he was from far off out of nowhere and it kind of, he fell into the campaign until i left all my until my truck broke down and all my information was in my truck for months on end and then he had the one weapon we needed to fight everything at the end, which was the worst part about it. But that ended up leading into the dick face pirate, so I wasn't mad about it. Yeah, and and that that's what I mean. With the, as long as it works with the DM's campaign setting, which my setting at that time, there is the Far East, and they do there is trade between there is trade. They're just rare. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, in some people's worlds, if they they don't want these. Uh, Especially the new Tasha stuff. If they don't mm-hmm. like the, the the path of priest clerics, because they f- feel all their gods are gods of war, yeah. Well, then obviously you can't make a path of priest cleric in that guy's world. Right. But in general, you can make anything using the rules that there are, uh, and then it's just you know sometimes you have to reskin stuff. Sometimes it's working with the DM to get it. Um, uh, well, there that is something that I, I was going to bring up today was, you know, the idea of reskinning, you know, because everybody goes in and they're like, hey, uh, and I've done this once or twice before because I like the idea of fisticuff brawlers. What I don't like is that only monks are the only ones who get stronger punches as they go along. Like, it's part of their, it's part of their innate built-in class. What we don't get is other classes that, you know, as they level, their punches can get stronger. It's always going to be a D4, 4 plus your strength. And I was like, that just kind of like, if I put a couple of rock, uh, if I put some gauntlets on and I punch you, 
clearly that's going to hurt more than a D4. And you worked with me, and you're like, hey, look, I can wield these two weapons. Can I just, you know, turn them into iron gauntlets? I was trying to make uh, a brawler type, kind of like General Armstrong, where he, like, you know, he fights with punches and stuff like that, but it wasn't supposed to be General Armstrong, ex- except for he did have the mustache. Yeah, and we, we reskinned a uh, blunt, I, I think I, it was a, a, a club hammer or, or a hammer. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, it, you're doing the same damage as if you were holding these two blunt instruments in your hand, in, one in each hand. Right. And mathematically, there is no change to the gameplay. There is no change to the rules. But in your head, instead of it looking like a small handheld hammer, you're wearing these metal gloves. Yeah. And Simple, that, easy reskin. Yeah. I'm, and I'm sure there's more adept ones that you could go out there and find. But I think, you know, a lot of it comes down to is making sure you're talking with your DM. And I think... Usually with long-running campaigns, it's a lot easier. You probably get 100 messages from everybody right before the start of a campaign, even during the middle of a campaign. You probably get 1,000 different messages about, hey, can I do this? What about this? But I think, you know, when you go into Adventures Guild and stuff like that, it's a lot harder. But I I think people are intimidated by their... can be intimidated by a DM because, you know, when you start playing with these people, they have this idea that that guy, uh, for first-timers especially, that that guy knows all the rules. He clearly is the subject matter expert. He's going to be able to tell you what you can and can't do. And they don't realize that DMs are invaluable. That, you know, that a lot of them are willing to compromise. Every now and then you get one, one or two that are just like, no, you're going to play it as it lies. And it just, it kind of, it's not to ruin the game. I think it's just because they're trying to get, they're trying to keep the setting surreal. I, I don't know how you kind of feel about that or. Well, and you also get the other side of it where the, they're, they're trying to give themselves an advantage. It's not it's not a reskin if those gauntlets now do the same damage as a great maul. Right. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> and you've now got one on each hand. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 that is not a reskin. That That's, is yeah, yeah that is a, a two-handed weapon that you've now made a one-handed. That's not the same as a reskin. Yeah. Um so it, it works both ways. Uh but like I said if, if if you look at the weapons list, it is very thin in 5e. Yeah. Uh, in some of the old editions, you had entire books of nothing but weapons. And there may be some third-party stuff still out there for, for 5e. Um, but I think the designers did that intentionally with the intention of reskinning. If you want a katana, you're reskinning a longsword. You're not well, creating there, a new... I think the katana, actually, right. uh, there's a chapter out there that falls into exotic weapons, and I'm going to pull it up. Uh, and let me see if I can't find it, but I'm pretty sure that's actually canon too. Like yeah. that, there are like the commas and like more of the far eastern weapons that you know people are uh, are prone to like. There's something about it that you know, especially anime nerds or just nerds in general, they like shuriken, they love katanas, commas, all these weapons, uh, nunchucks, and I love the way nunchucks belt. Um, but I'm pretty sure that they're actually in the canon for 5e, but you're right. The list is so small. Yeah, see, they've got, like, Dire Flail, Orcish Warpick. Like, there's, uh, this is from gmbinder.com. They're, yeah, they're, so they're some, pretty... Somebody third party has gone through and done the... Done the reskinning for you. <laughs> yeah, and I think, and I, I know there's got to be, I, I know I've seen it somewhere uh, in one of the books that it actually, it, it does exist. And, I, but I, th- I think you're more right on the way that it, I think it's just easier just to reskin your favorite, you know? Yeah. And I wish Tasha's would have addressed that to where 
you know, they did really well with like the class redesigns. Like, hey, how do you want to do this? And, you know, at first I thought it was kind of like a little political stunt. I'll be honest. Um, I was like, oh, they're just trying to talk about this. But then you start reading through and it's like, no, this is actually allowing more creativity to the player. The mm-hmm. Tasha's uh, was a book for the player. You get every other book, it seems, is going to be, it's either going to be a book for the player or a book for the DMs. Um, I've got Mortal Times Tome of Foes, mainly because I was like, I was summoning demons all the time. And like the basic DM, uh, DM book and all the other ones, Monster Manual didn't have a lot, but that one it expanded it. But Tasha's was for the players. And I wish something in the players would have, would talk about, hey, here's your weapons, here's what you can do. You know, if you want the katana, or if you want this, or if you if you can design or draw a weapon, like if you want like a wicked looking scythe and you can draw it out, then, you know, let's see what we can look through in the book and how that plays in. Yeah, and, and it really comes down to you find the weapon that's closest to it and you use that mathematically and thematically in your head yeah you change it now the odds of finding that as a you start with you start with a pair of size in a european campaign the odds of finding a enchanted size yeah you're not you're not going to find them very likely however with 5e rules where you have the broad proficiency proficiencies in old editions you picked size as your weapon you were proficient with you were stuck you like were that. stuck with that if you didn't find upgrades you you had to go out and hire somebody to chant your own. Yeah. You know, that was the only way you ever got better. Whereas five E, you you know you generally your fighter has all the martial weapons. You find something better than your size, you can go ahead and use it. Right. Um, but yeah, a size is basically a blunt dagger. Exactly. You know, I so mean, and depending upon the size size too. Like I I honestly would like if you've got like oh uh, let's say ruby. We all know ruby size how how big it is. You know. We're going to dismiss the changing into a gun. We're just going to focus on inside. I could see that being like the damage of a claymore. Maybe. Uh, well, I don't I don't know what you may be thinking. You're more, you've DM'd a lot more. You have more experience. You could probably give it. But that's the idea that I would. Commas. I would agree. Maybe daggers. Something like a little D4 real quick. Because mm-hmm. they're smaller. They're quicker acting. Just like daggers would be. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it can be done. And. You know, it sometimes it's a negation. Is it really going to change if there's already a game in the game a weapon that does a D four damage? Having a different weapon with a different name doing the same damage is not going to break the game. Right now, that good. But then, you know, like I said, if you're going back to okay, now you're doing the two D six great weapon damage with a one handed weapon. That's a completely different animal. That's right. not a reskin. Now, you may have a magical weapon that does that as, you know, an artifact. Or something that, that you created. Find, yeah. That's the DM being creative. That's different. But as far as reskinning, if, as long as you're matching, you know, a one-handed to a one-handed, damage dice to damage dice, weight restrictions or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever the case may be, a reskin is just to help your imagination. It, it, it makes it more fun for the guy, the player, to think... Uh, you know, oh, you know, my guy is doing, you know, backflips with his katana than it is for him to be, I'm um, swinging a longsword and like a knight in armor. He wants to be more of the ninja type. Yeah. It, or the samurai. Yeah, or, exactly. Like, and I think, you know, we get away from, sometimes we get locked into combat sometimes. Like, we just think about it straightforward. We're not thinking about, like, how thematic we, uh, and I don't even know if that's the word I really want to use, but 
you know, we're trying to make it like this epic battle. Like, even if it's a small fight, you're just fighting like four or five goblins. At level one, that's kind of like a big fight. But, you know, you really want to have that moment where you run in and you crush that goblin's head with your with your shield and you're trying to explain that, but you get locked behind it. Uh, but if you have that samurai who really wants to be like uh, the, the lone Ronin type and he's just running in there and like fighting things by himself because it's his way, but he's, doesn't, he has to use the damage from a, uh, a long sword but he wants it to be a katana. I think that helps. It goes all, It goes back to something from the first episode where we say, hey, are the DMs here for the players uh, or are they there for themselves? And it goes to being what I agree, the DMs should be there for the players and helping them out, helping them create that thematic uh, issue. Yeah, well, and I mean, this is a social game. It is a group game. Yeah. Everybody's there for everybody else's entertainment. Oh, <laughs> yeah. If it wasn't fun, I mean, if it's not fun to be the DM... Nobody's going to volunteer to be the DM. Right. If it's not fun to be the player, nobody's going to play with that DM. Exactly. Uh, it, it, so you got to help each other out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. I, we've all experienced what it's like to play with terrible players, uh, terrible yeah. DMs. And, you know, we've we've done our, our job in weeding out those issues um, we, we know, Hey, we know how now to get people and go, Hey, look, this is just not going to work for us. Right. Uh, you, you're toxic to the, the community. You're just, you know, you're ruining it for the other players, you know, cause we have now new players coming in, uh, from our, our small group of friends that are coming in to, you know, never played the game a lick before in their life. And they just sat down and like, well, I want to play. And, you know, now they're on their second character. They were having a good time. And with those, uh, toxic players that we've now rooted out we uh, and this is just like one long segue into this is like we've you know we know like e- even coming in I, I had been away for some time and I got to come back in and play and they're like hey we're actually playing for her uh, you know the other players came around and said hey look we're doing this for her so she can like really experience the story and see what the you know the fun that is you know, we've had the stories about, you know, my characters, their characters, and, and their characters and stuff like that. So we wanted to give them, a ch- her a chance. Uh, and dealing with toxic players, I think, is a big thing that some people just don't know how to do. You know, you being a uh, former Air Force, me being uh, National Guard, you know, we've been in leadership positions where we've had to deal with these issues. So we have it. Uh, is there any tips you can give out there to anybody listening right now? that would, you know, hey, how do you deal with toxic players? How do you help weed them out? Well, before you weed them out, you might just talk to them. Because one of the things, sometimes they don't realize what they're doing. You know, some some people just want that attention. They don't get it at home, whatever it is. Right. And they don't realize they're being obnoxious and stealing, you know, talking over people or, you know, and sometimes you just have to pull them aside and let them know, hey, you know, we're no. all playing here. We've got to give everybody a chance. And, and sometimes they'll work it out. If they don't work it out, sometimes it, they, you might not be the right DM for them. You might not be the right group, gaming group. Right. And that's okay. You don't ha- not every gaming group has to work for everybody. Right. Um, it is okay to say, you know, just, don't, don't come back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think... And, you know, we've gotten to a little bit more into, you know, we want to be accepting of people. It's because it's a, it was a game created by people that weren't really accepted. Like, I guarantee it, Gary Gygax was not, uh, not the coolest kid at his high school. 
until, you know, 20, 30 years later when he was, you know, the Antichrist of the world, or at least the Catholic world. But I think, you know, we get it. You're an outcast, and this may be your attention, but sometimes, you know, as as a player trying to, here's the way I've weeded out, um, I've tried talking to you. I've done that before, and I can tell you that, that sometimes you're right. It does work. But there are times that it doesn't work. They just don't get the hints. So I just stop communication, and that's how I, I've gotten other players. I was like, look, man, I, I've tried. I've worked it out, uh, or I've tried working it out. You just, you know, you it lasts for about 30 seconds. Then you go back to doing what you were doing. All right, man, hey, um, I'm just going to not talk to you. Yeah. And it actually helped get one of our more toxic players out. He kind of finally got the hint that more and more people just weren't, like, addressing him. Yeah, and sometimes, like I said, sometimes that's got to be the way it's got to be. Uh, but you want to make that effort first. You want, right. you don't want to immediately ostracize somebody because you know you don't like the, the their choice they've made they, narratively or character wise. Yeah, and it um, may just be for the campaign too. Yeah, uh, you know I, I'm not saying you should just go straight to that even too right after because it may be a character thing that you know everybody wants their character. A lot of people design their characters and they don't think about the flaws that they have. Like what. What does your character do that may annoy other people? And it may be a part of that 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 guy is just trying to, you know, do. He may be the guy that just has, like, he's the one-upper in a story. And that's what his character flaw is. And it's like, well, you know, I killed a goblin. Well, I killed two goblins. Or I killed a dragon. Well, I killed an army. And, you know, and that's what their character's trying to do. So I, I can agree with that. Well, and also, when, when, when designing characters, people got to remember... The character in D&D is an ensemble character. So you can't, you know, the Batmans of the world. Yeah. You need a Justice League Batman, not a Batman who's in the dark alley doing his stuff by himself. Right. You, you, part of that comes back to the character design, too. You know, that, that, oh, but this is what my character would do excuse doesn't work it, if you are causing problems for the party because of that, yeah, you need you need to design your a character that will work with the party, or not well, work with the party is the wrong phrasing because you know you could work against the party. Oh yeah, <laughs> you, you have to work with the social group you are playing with. Right. <laughs> work with the players, not with the yeah. characters. Yeah, I, I I can agree to that. I but you know because th- there are times to go off and do your own right. thing. Um, if you're at a little bit of downtime, you just cleared the dungeon, everybody's out kind of doing their thing, you know, going out, spending their earnings on new spell scrolls, potions for the next fight, you know, hey, I want to go out and see what the underground's doing and do your own little thing. And, you know, this is something that we've talked with other people, you know, in our previous podcast about people who like, well, I want to be a part of what he's doing. Well, you know, give that player some time to be the solo guy, like maybe he's going to go out there and take on thugs. He's got the matches Malone kind of personality where he's going out to fight uh, bad guys in his part time because he just wants that thrill of battle. Uh, And there's okay to be that kind of guy. When I talk about flaws, I don't mean so much as, you know, I I want every character should have some kind of flaw. It should be written on their character sheet. What is it? Uh, I've had characters that are seasick. All the time. Can't do anything on the boat. Uh, I've had characters who have gambling problems, who are greedy. Every All the way down the line. Uh, I think one of my first characters in one of your campaigns was a thief. And then once I, I had the chance to take all the money and run, I took all the money and run. And I went and bought my island and lived happily ever after. 
uh, but there, these flaws are needed because it, it gives you it gives your character either something to work to overcome, it gives them some kind of humility, um, but it it'll help you with you know understanding why they're trying to do the actions, and these flaws. Uh, if you go back to these toxic players who are using these flaws as a crutch, you know, to be toxic, that's going to be an issue too. I don't want, I don't want that to go out there to think that, you know, the toxic players that we were talking about, you know, that they're just like, they're going to write in their personal flaws. Well, he always has to interject, always has the the greatest idea. Well, that's okay. No, I think you're just kind of putting you in there and it's, that's fine to put a little bit of you in your character, but at the same time, that could be an ongoing thing. You know, we just you make sure you address it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's okay to make a character with an annoying voice that makes people cringe, <laughs> as we've seen in some of our campaigns. You just need to make sure that the table isn't going to actually murder <laughs> the player who decides to use that. Isn't that right, Bolg? This one's for you. And you know who I'm talking about, too, Bolg. This not be a good one for you. Exactly. So oh. as long as the table's cool with it, Go for it. Yeah, there, there are times that you know, I we you need that comic relief. Yeah. So I, I agree with that. Yeah. But you know, in some some groups, that nails on the chalkboard is going to cause somebody to snap, and it's going to cause trouble in the group. I, I know so. the I know the phrase. Uh, somebody's going to smother you in your sleep tonight. Yeah. Was used several times to that character. <laughs> I was just I was ready. I was like ah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So it, it come it. You know, it's a social game. You have to know the social group you are playing with. Yeah. And, and the bigger the group, the more personalities are going to be involved. Sometimes the less big you can make your yeah. personality because there's more chance of rubbing. There, it's hard to be a dominant personality in a in a campaign setting with a lot of people, especially when you have a lot of dominant personalities like our group does. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of our players are really big. You know, they're really out... You know, we're not the that typical group that's, you know, very shy, kind of standoffish. Most of us are really good in social settings. We can go out, you know, a couple of our... One of our guys is a teacher. The other one works at a, uh, a fast-paced pharmacy. Uh, I work in broadcasting. You're a big IT guy. You know, we're used to talking to people. We're used to being out there, dominant, showing who we are, what we're doing. You know, we have a few players that are very soft and outspoken. Uh, soft spoken. They don't really don't. They're okay with being like almost a background character. But you know, it's the you. You got to watch how you as a as a player. Uh, what's the word I'm gonna like? I'm looking for the the word. Uh, I guess dominate really is like you. You don't want to dominate it for uh, your character shouldn't be the center focus of everything. Yeah, and, and it goes back what I was saying before. It's it's an ensemble. This is a you know a team, uh, and that's why I use Batman. I don't want to play team sports. Batman, in most Batman style comics, would not work well. However, if you're going to play Batman. You need to be Justice League, League Batman. Batman. Yeah. You know, who does work with a team. Yes, you may know how to kill everybody on the team in case they turn on you. You should. But that's that's part of your personality. That's fine. But you still work with the team. You you know, um, a lot of characters like to play the, the Raceland uh, from Dragonlance, the evil wizard yeah. that, you know, 
is conspiring against the team in the background, but he's working with them because they're making them strong. Well, you have to have those bonds that keep you working with the team because as soon as you go to the, the player versus player, that campaign's over. You fight, yeah. if, the two, if, if a player winds up fighting another player to the death, the campaign is over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So and it, you've lost out on like all your work and time. Yeah. Oh, I like. I I enjoy the conspirers. I really do, yeah. especially when you weed them out. Like all of a sudden you start like, and it's hard. It's hard to break away from your player knowledge to your character knowledge of what he may know. Um, versus you know in these senses, mm-hmm. you know we say out we say a lot of our thoughts out loud as a player. And you're like, well, you know, this is kind of what I'm doing. And you're like, oh, you're conspiring. And you're like trying to figure it out so your character can figure it out without actually manipulating those roles. But I think I, I do enjoy a good conspiracy where the where somebody in the background's secretly trying to backstab everybody. And, and a couple campaigns ago, one of our the, the warlock in our campaign did a very good job of this where he would do subtle little, like he changed the, where the X was on the treasure map to go where he wanted to go instead of where the treasure map was taking him. <laughs> you know, he would do little subtle things like this and wound up elevating his patron to a, you know, that was his back mission in the back of his head while doing all this campaign was to serve his patron as a warlock, which yeah. is very in character. But he, ne- like, there were times he really shafted the party behind the scenes, but he never did it in such a way... Like it wasn't in combat. He's gonna go up and backstab the the barbarian so that the whole party wipes. Yeah, it was never stuff like that. It, it was well, you know, I, you know, and that's something that it people was more are, guiding. <laughs> yeah, I think that you know a lot of people think when you're gonna be in that role of trying to like backstab the party that you actually are having to go up there and like slit their throats while they're sleeping, and it's not that at all. Yeah, it's more along the lines of are you know are you changing the map or are you. Uh, making sure that people don't notice the the right guard to talk to or something like that. You know, kind of leading them into the directions you want. And I I have an issue with that. Like, it's been hard to convince other people. A lot of people see my characters as old previous characters, and um, they, they kind of, like, think, oh, well, this is... It. it goes into their using their player knowledge versus their character knowledge. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, whatever it is you want is probably a bad thing. And it's like, no, it's really, it couldn't be. You know, I'm just yeah. here. <laughs> you just got to use a little reverse psychology and be like, that's that's the way I want to go when you really, I want to go mm-hmm. right when I really, you really want to go left. I've gotten, I've gotten into yeah. that a little bit too. And people are like, all right, cool, we're going left. I was like, excellent. Yeah. But I, I, I think player knowledge uh, versus character knowledge and here in a couple weeks we're actually going to have one of my uh, one of my good foil buddies I'm not going to tell everybody who it is but he is a very big uh, player knowledge to character knowledge uh, all the time you probably already know who I'm talking about oh but we're going to talk more about that I want to kind of jump back to something you were saying earlier that I, I, I love this topic when it comes to 5e and you were talking about how in older editions, you had specific weapon skills. Yeah. Everything was specific. And when we get to 5e, you also lose out on all the old school, and I love Pathfinders, uh, care, I love their character sheets because their skill proficiencies and stuff like that were diverse. Yeah. You weren't just going to be good in Arcana. You had to pick what type of Arcana. You know, Dungeoneering, what type of Dungeoneering, map making, uh, trap finding... 
And these were things that made characters even more unique. If all of us are here at this school, we're guaranteed to be good at Arcana. So all of us are going to have, like, you know, be able to read ruins and stuff like that to where we can go, oh, yeah, this is what it says. Um, and I think we lose a lot of that. I, we've lost a lot of, like, the really defining things that make characters specific with these skills. I want to see what you think. Yeah, well, in, in a lot of the older not just D and D editions like the Palladium games or the Rollmaster. Yeah, you got that that very fine, gradular, uh, granular. <laughs> the the word potato the word, potato. The word that means small grains. <laughs> you get that little small. You know where if you didn't have the proper skill to wipe your butt, you could fall off the toilet and break your arm. I mean, <laughs> they were that detailed. Where it took four or five hours to make a character in some of these systems. Sometimes making the character was more fun than the game itself. Yeah. Because it got you into, you know, some of it would start with their birth. You know, who were their parents? Where did they live? What did you do growing up? What did your parents do? What hobbies did you? And, it, you know, these things would slowly build your character till when they got to the point where they start as a player character. You know, you had a, you had a sword reason. skill general as A. But squirt skill katana may be even higher because that was the one, you know. Yeah. And D&D kind of got away from that for, for speed and accessibility I, over that, that level of detail. I, you know, but that level of detail really makes you feel uh, attached to characters. It's a harder loss when that character dies. Like, to lose... I, to lose, like, even the pirate captain, I had actually invested a lot of time. I had invested a lot of off time. I was, you know, creating uh, stuff for him to ooing in the backgrounds when I couldn't be there for drill weekends, uh, for, you know, building relationships and stuff like that, to, and to lose that character. But I feel like in older editions, still, some of our more favorite characters are the ones that, you know, we spent all the extra time. Like, who is this person? Why is he doing these things? You know what? Uh, why does he choose to fight bare knuckle brawling? Is it you know? No. Why has he got a drug problem? And that that was actually something I was expecting the custom lineage part that came out in Tasha's to be much more complicated and in depth. Um, because I thought if you go back to like second edition, the the skills and power stuff, where they had like a point by system, where you you know if you didn't want to play the the one d four hit point wizard. You could spend month, give up spell slots or whatever other proficiencies. You could give up some stuff that would increase your, you allow you to use a higher hit die yeah. when you leveled when you were building. You know, it was a point system, and I had expected that they were going to come out with some complicated. You know, dark vision is five points. You know, a cantrip as a racial ability is. So I thought it was going to be this big complicated system that would go into those granular where you're building your character. Uh, I was surprised how easy and, and clear-cut the Tasha system. I like it. Yeah. I, I was ple It was a pleasant surprise, but that's what I, I was expecting, more of this where you could, you know, you construct it from the ground up rather than, you know, a uh, pre-built... Yeah, it is very bare bones. Yeah. Um, you know, you're going to be... You're going to describe... You describe who you are, why you look like that way, and then you get, like... One or two options, one or two options, one or two options. All right, your character is now created. And I'm like, well, that's just not... Yeah, and you throw that with standard array yeah. so that you've got the same numbers every time. And, and, you know, 
you can rebuild your character every single time the same way once you find a character you like. Yeah, you it's know. it's gonna it's definitely gonna allow for repeats for those who really want to play the same guy again. But I am in agreement when it comes down to you have the point by system, and I've seen that in not only just in like older editions, but in other games where you know uh, you're a human. Well, then if you want uh, grand grand strength or something like that, you're gonna it's gonna cost you this and. I like that in old RPGs, uh, just like PlayStation Champions of Norath was one of my favorite games on PlayStation uh, 2, and I've tried getting good emulators of it, and I can't for the life of me. But it was allowed to... You could build... Uh, the races were locked in. That kind of annoyed me. Like, if you were going to be a Dark Elf, you were going to be a Necromancer. If you are going to be a High Elf, you were a Wizard. Okay, but you could still change the points, build, uh, build your way to fit your play style... And that's what I enjoy about an RPG. We, but the options were more give or take. You weren't really, uh, you know, Tasha's kind of gives you a lot of really good options right off the bat just for creating these things versus, you know, kind of very baning and booning what you're really going to get. I enjoy a good bane for a boon. Um, I do miss like orcs used to get a very high, pl- uh, very good bonus to their strength, but you know, they started lacking in intelligence. Yeah. Well, and it, 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 going back to the old skills, like the flaws thing, um, you didn't have to take a flaw back then, but if you did, you got extra points to build your, so if you wanted that wizard with the higher HP, maybe you took a flaw that you were an alcoholic, you know, and, hey. and, it gave you an extra two points to build your character with. Um, but And it would have tables and rules. Like, you know, if, if confronted with a situation where you're choosing to save your friend or drink, uh, you've got a savings throw of <laughs> such... I mean, it, it would give you the rules for that as well. That's, that's the other side to... The more complicated you make that, the more you have to have the rules. Because there is the, the character who's going to... Yeah, my character's an alcoholic... But every time he's going to choose the non-alcoholic choice, yeah, and, and and make the money, save the girl, whatever you know, whatever it is. Well, then is that character really the alcohol? Are you really role playing an alcoholic, or you know? A lot of people like to claim they're alcoholics, but they're yeah. not. Yeah, or or you know, a blind character who somehow has blind fighting and and sonar and whatever else, where he's not getting, he's got a regular attacks on everything and sees everything perception normal yeah well that that's not a blind character yeah you're, you're <laughs> technically just you're trying and I, I see what they're trying to create there but yeah you're right you're just you, yeah. you're super senses yeah they're, they're taking the flaw just for the points and not applying it that so you have to have the rules to apply that flaw if you're going to do a flaw system yeah um, well i and i think I think that's like when I I look at characters when they come in to different, you know, and you're reading through backstories and stuff like that. We get to see about all the good they've done. Um, I even, I found uh, the pirate captain's, uh, his story and I read through it again and God damn, that damn thing was long. I didn't realize how much I had wrote there. It's a good story though. Like I actually, I was like, man, that's just, this is a well-designed character. But, you know, he, he came from, he was so high up in the world, he was, like, ravaging the seas. He was a well-known pirate captain. And then he gets backstabbed by his first mate, falls, uh, comes, succumbs near to death, and now he's in this slump. He's like, oh, I, how am I supposed to rebuild my pirate crew? So he, revert, he starts, you know, drinking and doing drugs and stuff like that. And it got to the point that 
you know, I was trading, you know, I was giving every little thing that I got from people for more drugs. And it came into the fights, like, all of a sudden, we had a fight outside the bar. And I was like, well, I drank, I finished drinking my drink before I got up to fight. And so I was, like, down for two rounds. Um, I, I think yeah. it's important for these flaws. And I think a lot of people over, you know, don't use them enough. Yeah. And we don't see that in these character backstories. But it would make for more interesting gameplay if you had the blind guy who, you know... Just because the armor, he has to, like, if you have a blind character, maybe you have to hit plus two above his armor. Every person you fight is a plus two. You know, we'll give you a boon or something for that. You know, maybe you have, like, heightened sound and smell, so you get, like, bonus to your perception. But you still have to hit plus two. And I think that's a system that's underdone in 5e that really could, you know, be beneficial and help. Yeah, because the, the flaws that are part of the background, are you don't even have to fill them out when you're creating a yeah. character because uh, they're more to help you develop it in your mind they're not hardcore rule mechanics no I think most people um, when they take the, the backgrounds they're really just looking for the feats yeah. the extra gold that they can start with yeah, and it, 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 you, it's, you pick the background that gives you the skills you want and if they have a feature like uh, like Outlander that you know allows you to feed up to eight people or whatever yeah that's yeah. useful. That's a useful feature. Yeah. They they don't look at you know okay what does it mean to have this background to be a hermit yeah. to be a sage and stuff like that. Oh, because like my current character actually has a in your campaign actually has a, they're the acolyte. Uh, it's not the acolyte per se. I don't have his sheet pulled up right now, but it's one that allows me library access to any library. But you know I'm very self centered. I'm trying to, you know, solve the issue that's wrong with him, which is, you know, he was tr- he's been cursed and no amount of like anti-magics or like anti-curse stuff has worked to get him back. So now he has to he is a um he can't cast anything higher than a first level spell outside of his halfling form. Um he has to transform he has to use and we've uh, you know, we've got it to where he uses a bonus action to uh, turn into a human. So there's an action gone in that fight just to be able to fight. He doesn't get the dark vision because he's not naturally a halfling. And it's created a very well-rounded character that isn't just like... He isn't kooky because he's trying to be kooky. He's trying to actually be a very... You know, he's trying to solve a problem. He's trying to be a part of the story... Yeah, he's self-centered and trying to do it for himself, but he, you know, he knows that he's got these other means. Otherwise, he's gonna be trapped like this forever. And these banes, uh, you know, influence gameplay. You know, and we we need. It'd be nice to see more players doing that. Yeah, yeah, and I think our group actually. This one of the things I, I I'm gonna actually credit the custom lineage with um, is that our group. Every single person for this campaign has given me at least a two-page background, you know, story this time. Um, you know, some, a, lot of the, a lot of the times you get the, yeah, I, I, I'm an ex-soldier, and that's their background, you know. It's like, <laughs> okay, well, that, that, that's great to know. That I'll, I'll build a lot off of that. Yeah. Well, you know? it, but it, it's, with the custom lineage, you have to go and explain who you are more. Even, you know, I'm... You know, I'm a half elf, but I don't know it. Or you yeah. know, I'm a, you know, because I I think both my parents were these two humans that raised me. But you know, technically, this other one is right. my actual father. And that's, you know, 
that's on the player. I think yeah. sometimes the players get either they get lazy because we have really good story storytelling players in our group, but I think the players uh, just in general can get very lazy time after time where they don't want to put into their effort into these characters. I I love creating characters. I'm always three characters ahead. Um, the next character's already been thought out. I already have a plan for him. Uh, I know what his story is. I'm ready to put the time and effort into creating these. And it helps, like you said, you as a DM, it helps you to build stories, to build, you know, character arcs around each individual character where they can uh, be a part me be a part of the story. But if you're just like you said, oh well I'm an ex soldier. Okay, cool. Did you why'd you leave the army? Why did you you know, what what made you join in the first place? You know, is there a grand goal you're trying to be, or are you trying to get back? You know what? What's yeah? What what army were you in? What what nation were you fighting for? What yeah yeah? And these are you know we've already started to already in the school arc and stuff like that. You know we've already started establishing uh, my character's story arc because everybody's like, why is he looking for this book? Um, they already know that I can transform. I wasn't really trying to keep it a secret, but it you know. As a part of the character design, it was like, well, it's taxing to be in that form. I can only hold the form for a minute, um, and that's a minute in combat time, too. So once 60 seconds is up, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm spent for a little while. We never really decided whether it was going to be like, I can do it, like, short rest, long rest. But I think, you know, it's already limiting because I can only cast certain spells outside that form. But we've already, going back to what we were, I was trying to get at, though, is that we've decided... Or we've shown the other players, like, hey, this is we're going to be looking for this item. This item is supposed to cure any magical curse. Anything. Um, right now, it's unknown where it is. We just know what it looks like, where it was, but it's no longer there. And that's because that was a part of the backstory. So I think as players, when you're doing these, if you're an Adventures Guild guy... You're probably just going to be like, you're there to be there. Yeah. I'm 100% be honest. You're not there to be, you know, you you could yeah, be and, there. And the, the Adventures Leagues, are the mechanics are set up where you can swap a 5th level druid for a 5th level fire up to a, you know, yeah. a certain point where it, you, you can change anything about anything and keep on going, you know, without having to restart. Right. So, yeah, those, yeah, you're going to have less of a developed setup for those but I, pop in type but for campaigns that you should it, it you should have some kind of a developed who 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 is this person and what is this where they come from and why yeah what what brings them to this you know what brings them specifically and we'll use your uh your current campaign what brings them to this school specifically um i you know just playing already it's very hard to get a read of why some of the others are at the school yeah um, you know, I think they're there just because it was a school foundation and stuff like that. You know, my character, he is, he came in and he's like, look, this is supposed to be the magic Academy. Everything around this world is magic wise is here. So there's gotta be a cure for this ailment here. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to read other people's backstories to kind of like figure out their story because then I think that player knowledge starts affecting character knowledge but at the same time, you know, I want to see these characters. Why are you here? Like, are you just here to be here? And it's sad to say that there are times that I've gotten more from the NPCs than I have from the other players. Well, and you've got some of them. I mean, 
being it's only been one session, you probably haven't, and like I said, you haven't read the backstory. But you know, like uh, I'd mentioned that the the, uh, the there's somebody in the party who thinks they're a full human, right? Whose father was an elf doesn't realize it, um, you know. But that's in the backstory. There, you know, the other one whose friend and they were trapped in the Feywild for fifty years, and the friend wants to go back now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, well, it, but it, you know, again, with our group being so large, time is limited. In one session, you only get so much of those yeah. motivations. Most of them this time actually have uh, a very detailed motivation. motivation yeah. um, what something that's happened to bring them there, and, and that that I, you know I had set the the tuition at some kind of an astronomical rate, it's like three thousand platinum. Yeah, I and I just went astronomical for that very reason. There ha- you need to come up with something to justify that you paid this amount. Or somebody paid this amount for you. Yeah. Did anybody? Uh, did anybody t- go to, through the loan shark? No. Oh man, I wanted to see that one come through. That I, I yeah. Uh, I thought about it myself, but I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm I was already an established wizard out in the world. Like I was very powerful at one time. This curse has brought me down, so I'm just gonna sell all my belongings. I was like, that that makes a little bit more sense than I'm just going looking for a loan shark. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I, I figured that at least somebody would take some kind. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were afraid. I gave that one too quickly as, yeah. a, as a suggestion. Um, but yeah, and, and you know, there's lots of different ways. They, 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 some of them, it's you know, they had a a tutor, a friend, a scholarship. Yeah. Uh, some of them, you know, it's family. Some of them, they've gone to the school for generations. They're nobles that have. Yeah, that is, know, keep sending their kids there. Keeps yeah. So I mean, it, it, there's different reasons for each of them, and. and you know, at some point, maybe somebody might need a loan shark for something else. I yeah. You know, you need to buy that new magic wand. It might. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I thought I, 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 I and that, that's where I was trying to like you've built the way you've built the school too is a, a very unique because you've added a way that we can get most of what we need without actually having to leave the school, which is great. Uh, it kind of limits, you know, what we'll be else we'll be able to do. But I want to see where the others are going to help us take, you know, going outside because it's in its own little time bubble where time is affected differently, and what goes on outside is also at its own is carrying on at its own rate. Yeah. So. And, and the the mystery of the school is is a big part of the plot line. Yeah. Um, you guys, other than the fact that you're in this completely magical. You know, wow, place. You, you haven't seen a lot of what it is and why it's the way it is, and you know how they do that, um, and and that that's part of the part of the story to develop in the future. Yeah, um, I, and I, I I look forward to that. I don't, especially when we get you back in at a later date. I definitely we're gonna you know give an update. Uh, me and Bull will definitely be mentioning stuff about it because we we've always enjoyed your campaigns you've done a really well job which leads me to something have you ever thought about posting toward posting some of your stories and stuff like that to like dm's guild or stuff for other people to play uh it's very difficult uh i have never personally used a pre-written adventure right um because the way they're laid out and the way they work doesn't work for my brain. <laughs> yeah, no, I get you, I get you. It just doesn't work. So if you were to look at some of my out, like I've shown, like, 
you know, where I've predicted what the party's going to do. Yeah, it's, you know? it's really weird, too, because it's very accurate. Yeah, and, and I'll show you that stuff, but if you were to look at some of my outlines, that's basically how I run. I run off of an outline, and then I have, you know, stuff off to the side with, you know, okay, com if they go to Combat 1, it's going to be, you know, I pull it up on the app, Combat 1 is all prearranged with, you know, the who, who they're fighting against or whatever it is. But I don't have, like, like the way the books and the, the pre-written, professionally done stuff flow just doesn't flow for me. But you, but um, if you ever, like I said, just, you know, taking all your notes, because I know they're all, like, written down, and just, like, posting them to the DM skill for others just to enjoy. Do you, you ever thought about doing that? I, no. <laughs> no? No. These are my stories. You can't have them. They're mine, 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 well, mine. I, I, I mean, I, put, I did put my world history stuff on... Uh, what is it, the World Anvil or one of those yeah. those type of places, more for the players to be able to go in and, and see timelines and see, you know, oh, I remember when we did, we blew that up and did that, <laughs> <laughs> when we changed history with that. Um, but I, I found a lot of those type of sites, they're really good when you're starting from scratch. It's a lot of work to put. Oh, yeah, no, I can <laughs> I, imagine. You know, when, you, when you've got four pantheons of gods already developed, on you know a word document somewhere on your computer to go and have to redo that into their format onto their online thing it, it yeah no I, I building websites and stuff like that for all this stuff i can imagine yeah. uh it, it gets to be a pain yeah and then and then your then your uh, party goes back in time and blow, <laughs> blows up the the 10th level bomb that so these guys no the longer exist yeah. yeah so this whole timeline this these four campaigns no longer exist. You 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 deal more with time than I've ever seen in any other campaign. I am a very much don't fuck with time kind of guy. Yeah. I don't believe in messing with things. Let it be. I had a character, uh, my Warforged bard, uh, who's a really good character. He was the historian for the world. Like he that was his whole thing. Like he had been around since almost the dawn of time, and he wrote down everything. He was a mute uh, most. And it seems to be a running thing, too, when we create Warforges for your campaign that they have some kind of, like, physical defect about them. But he was a mute, but he wrote down all the worlds, and he refused to go back in time. I had actually had to create another character yeah. because I was like, that just that's not happening. I'm not going back to mess and undo the timeline. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with new... St I do that on purpose. Uh, our, our original campaign, where you first met the, uh, the New Dwarf Order... <laughs> had to, when I created my world originally, it was created in second edition rules. Second edition rules, dwarves couldn't use magic. So I had to come up with something to explain why now in 5e rules, dwarves could now use magic just like everybody else. And, and so that I came up with a whole thing with the, the demigod storyline that yeah. uh, you know created this cult of dwarves that... <laughs> All sound like, like Macho Man. All sound like Macho Man. <laughs> Damn Macho Man. Um, but they they created this separate thing, and that and that that's why when they reemerged from out of the mountains, all of a sudden now they could do magic again. Yeah. You know where they couldn't before. Well, you know I wanted to go with the Tasha's custom lineage as an option for the next campaign. I needed to put something into there where you're going to change the very genetics, the very yeah. racial makeup of the world, uh, and that. That it's the blessing and the curse of a persistent campaign world. 
Right. Whereas if if you're using that, you know, that history from previous campaigns, it's like, well, if if you've always had the ability to to cast the dream of the blue veil to get to another world, why has nobody done that before in any of the old campaigns when that would have been very helpful to to do to get away from whatever, you know. Yeah. Um and that, that's, well, because it, it didn't exist then, but it does now. Yeah. Time travel makes a handy way to fix those things. Oh, uh, it's it, it's that old cop out, like an end yeah. game. End game with time travel was a straight up cop out. I'll, I'll be honest, and that's yeah. that's my opinion of Avengers. But yeah, I I, I, I prefer the butterfly effect. Or uh, if you ever watch the TV Canadian TV show Continuum, no. where every little and you you step on a flea. When you go back in time, you've changed the future irrevo- irrevocably. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's more the way I, I view time travel in my campaign. So the second you've stepped through time, you've changed the future. You're done. It's it's gone. Yeah, I like the uh, I like the Legends of Tomorrow kind of way. Is you know you can go back in there and you can help adjust and fix time, and as long as you're undoing whatever is causing problems or it'll be fine. The only major rule is is you can't go back and see yourself. Like, if you see yourself, then that's, like, a no-go. And they actually, like, a couple seasons ago, they had to go back in and see themselves, and it caused a big snafu. Yeah. Yeah, and then there, you know, I either prefer the butterfly effect where every super thing, tiniest thing, thing, every little thing changes it, or the 12 Monkeys movie where it's set, nothing can, nothing you can do can change... I, I prefer the two extremes. I don't like the where you can tweak it and still still wind up with the same. Yeah, I, I just I, I don't know, man. I think I think when you do uh, every little thing, the overall uh, the overall effect can like ruin good gameplay. I think just in the terms of like, well, I sneezed and now because I sneezed and I blew that butterfly to the ground. Well, guess what now. Three generations of families are now dead. I think that's kind of like drastic. Uh, I I I would much prefer Twelve Monkeys, where look, man, it's just gonna happen. Don't yeah. you can't erase the dick face pirates. They're still gonna be around. <laughs> yeah, and 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 a lot of that has to also do how far back did you go? You know, when you go a day or two, changes are gonna be small. Yeah, you go a million years. You you know you change the the very genetic makeup of the things that evolve on that world <laughs> all of a sudden now you got you know lizard people and it's yeah. skyrim and you're waking up you've been asleep for a while oh no yeah oh. i i uh when you create kingdoms for your campaign um how what's your thought process when you do kingdoms a, a lot of my kingdoms use the old alignment rules uh, you know, a chaotic evil kingdom, a lawful good kingdom, a lawful neutral kingdom. And, and I will start with, those, with okay, uh, the kingdom in you're, you're in now is a, when it was developed originally, was a chaotic good kingdom. A chaotic form of government would be like a democracy, you know, the rule of the many. Uh, you can't predict how it's going to go because, you know, it depends on the, the crowd. It's right. chaos. Um, but it is for the good, you know, it was a democracy, it is for the good of the people, uh, and, and I start with that government, and I say, okay, well, who would who would develop that kind of a government? What kind of people would these be? What cause, history-wise, 
the developments of democracies in the real world. Yeah. And, and you know, a lawful a- evil kingdom, well, it's, you know, the king is law. It's, it's uh, long shanks from Braveheart. Right. Uh, you know, this is a strong monarchy where the king is everything. Sometimes, you know, it, it's selfish for the king. He rules everything. Doesn't mean it's necessarily bad for everybody in no. that kingdom. Um, you know, a selfish law king that the law, his word is law. For some of the knights and the people who fall under his edicts yeah. in the lawful evil kingdom, that could be a good kingdom for those people. Right. Um, and then you know, there. You know, if story wise, sometimes big war arcs, you know, need tangibly opposed ideas <laughs> hey, we, yeah we need we need that bad guy you need that motivation yeah, yeah so you know if if we have a party who tends to be the the chaotic type of party which, which we do which we tend to do um you know you're the vi- villain nation is probably going to be more of that lawful nate na- lawful evil nation that uh is out to enslave out to put the controls in you know that uh the rule of order is for the good of everybody, even those who don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> the, we, we, and we, we definitely, uh, we come across that a lot. Uh, it's, it's definitely a common theme in yours. Uh, we, we end up seeing the slave, but it's not bad. Like it honestly, it gives you something, it, it gives you a, a th- looming threat. There have been times that the battles have just been so surmountable that we've like, we just have to leave. Yeah. There, there's nothing we can do. Um, and, and it's been hard and you watch some of the characters they break down after it because they're like well we could have done this There's, there was nothing man yeah. there was nothing we need that and I think when you've built these kingdoms whether they be good or evil you can tell the amount of power each one has and why they are uh, the wrecking houses that they are and they're very well designed if you could give a tip other than, you know, when you know, starting from the alignment and stuff like that, when you build these kingdoms, what would you tell to other people that are listening? How, uh, what, what, what they can do to build these kind of forces and give these kingdoms these kind of like the, the feel and sense of power? Uh, one of the big mistakes I think a lot of world building makes uh, the Star Wars, for example, uh, the democratic uh, nobility. <laughs> the, yeah. the lords and the ladies and the, the knights, the feudal system is not a democratic system. Yeah. You know, you you, you don't get elected king. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't um, vote for him. Exactly. Uh, and, and I think that is one of the, 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 the precepts. You, you, even though these are fantastical worlds, you should try to be as realistic with that stuff as possible. You know, um, yes, a mageocracy makes sense. Mages are powerful. They have magic. For them to use that power to rule an area makes sense. Yeah. You know, uh, a kingdom where magic is banned because people are afraid of magic makes sense. A kingdom with no magic in a world of magic fighting against magic kingdoms all around them is going to be much harder to believe. Yeah. Because how are you going to defend? Now, if you have a special order exempt from the rule, you've got to put those things into place because otherwise your people are going to get overwhelmed. Um, I've read fantasy novels where they never invented the wheel uh, because 
magic was so readily accessible that, you know, if you needed to move a pile of lumber, you used a magic floating disc to move that pile of lumber. So they never bothered to invent wagons and carts and that kind of stuff because they had no need for it. Right. So when this portal, it was a, one of those portal books, the world guy comes from another universe, another world, he starts using these tools to, you know, to his own advantage, and they look at it as a new form of magic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what is this magical device? Yeah. Physics. <laughs> That's a magical device. Oh man, I love <laughs> um, physics. Yeah. So I mean, you got to think about these things when you're building your world. If you know, uh, if you're a kingdom that's built on a bloodline, as you're ruling nobles, in a world of magic, you're gonna have magic DNA tests. You know, to make sure that this is the true-born heir uh, of that kingdom. You know, that it wasn't a, some a result of some affair, you know, diluting the bloodline. They will have these magical checks in place, and you got to develop those into the into the story, the regime that you're yeah. building, the, the culture. I I think that's a, a really good point. I I, I do want to see. Um, you know, if I have to play other play, you know, I don't obviously play a lot of other players' games. I always end up playing yours and stuff like that. But I guess going through and forward, I want to see that level of detail that some people just they do need. Is uh, is your kingdom magic base? Is it non magic base? Is it a warlike kingdom, a peaceful nation? Is it a, a land of druids? Is it a land of, fo- of nothing but barbarians? Uh, I I guess that's really good advice to give them. Is like you know, kind of keep it simple. And don't try and uh, don't try and base it off of non-reality uh, sensations. You know, hit the look. You know, go through and find a kingdom that you like from uh, history, whether it be King James. You know, whether it be Korea. You know, find the ones that you want to do and base it off that, and you can definitely get something yeah. out of it. And there and there are other governments besides feudal governments yes. and democracies. You know, meritocracies, majocracies, monarchy, uh, monarchy, theocracies. You can, a theocratic government makes for a good bad guy when you're not of that faith. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It makes for, but then again, if that is your faith and you're now protecting the holy land, that's a different spin altogether. I mean, same government, different spin, different campaign. Yeah. You could have two, uh, two same ideologies that are two theocratic nations and have them at war with yeah. each other. That would be really good. I mean, that's, you know, constant stuff going on with that. But with that being said, we are... Oh, man, that is really weird. Okay. With that being said, it is the end of the episode for us today. I want to say thank you, Loke, for coming in, stepping in for Bold. I really appreciate you doing this on short notice. Uh, make sure you guys are going out, finding us on... Chef Bolg and the Pirate Captain's Recipes for Everything, our Facebook page. You can email us at Chef Bolg, or at Bolg and PC at gmail.com. And I would love to say goodbye, Bolg. There be no Bolg, so goodbye, Loke. Bye. <laughs>